welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is part one of Dance, where Alan and I will be curating side A of a mixtape featuring songs with the word dance in the title. How you doing, Alan? Doing really well. Um, yeah, this, you know, this was a very interesting episode to try and put together. I... Um, because these are not dance songs, no. but rather songs. Well, I mean, some, can, some well, are. Some, some yeah, are. sure. Uh, but largely, they're just songs about dancing, and many of them are undanceable. <laughs> so, it, I, there's, I don't know. I was just caught by the irony. I, yeah, I'm I trying to see if mine and mine are undanceable. Um, I suppose just about anything. Well, that's the old uh, Dick Clark, you know, I give it a 10, but you can't dance to it or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But um, I, most of mine, I think, are pretty danceable. I have a few that are I, I have one or two that I just I don't see anybody showing their moves interesting on the floor okay um but no it, it was an interesting interesting list to put together and, and again like every week I had to change my mind and change my list several times before I was happy um but you know it's it's prom season so in many schools now which I'm, I'm happy to to see are actually holding prom of, of some kind so i wonder if they have to actually socially distance like they used to try to make it right <laughs> but never really succeeded in that oh, so it's it, we're back to the 50s and our a little ruler or a yardstick yeah well now with six feet you need two right yardsticks right to keep them apart oh that would be hilarious i didn't even make that connection um but no everything's going really well we are in week three and our second mixtape begins today um, how about yourself? How are Doing things? well. Yeah, I'm just happy spring is here, and you know I'm much happier between the months of April and and I'll, I'll go to December. I, I don't mind a little bit of winter there with the Christmas and holiday season, but uh, January through March is pretty tough on me. Always, yeah, same here. So it, glad to be out of that funk and and uh, welcoming the spring and and maybe a little early summer. Yeah, I am right there with you. Well, so. shall we talk about dance? Sure, let's do it. All right. Well, you know. I want to ask just to start here. This is an age-old age old question. I think I've always wondered, like, why, why do people dance? I think it's just a a, a natural expression of, of joy. Um, certainly, you know, if if you have a partner, it is a romantic uh, gesture. But I, I, I mean, my guess is that it probably, you know, dancing with a partner came later. I think probably just. At some point, when music was discovered, people just found that they began swaying and rocking to to the music. And I don't know. I mean, it, you know, if you go to the biblical uh, literature, uh, you find David. Footloose taught me this. You know, <laughs> that, <laughs> speaking of dancing, um, now I, I think it's just sometimes you you can't control it. I mean, your body almost takes over. Um, which says a lot because I am not a dancer. I try not to dance because I'm I'm like Elaine on the dance floor doing the Carlton. Here we go. I'll make two references to the '80s for you, um, or '90s. Seinfeld, Fresh Prince. That was '90s, right? That was '90s. '90s, yeah. 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 Okay, getting my decades mixed up there. Um, but yeah, I, I am not a dancer, which is really you know my wife finds it hilarious because I'm a I'm a drummer and I can keep a beat, but I cannot dance to it which I guess is makes me unique. I, I don't know. Um, but I can tell you as a DJ, you know, I've learned some interesting moves, especially when it comes to the line dances. I, I hate line dances uh, when I'm when I'm a guest at, at a party or a reception. As a DJ, they're your best friend because they will bring everyone to the floor 
every time. So many people are only comfortable dancing in line dances, uh, none of which are on my playlist because none of them actually have the word dance in the in the title. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I think it's just uh, just a, a joy and, and just an unbridled celebration. Uh, music just uh, music moves me, so I would assume that, that would be true for all people. Um, it certainly can. Uh, improve or exacerbate or um, yeah it, it it's, it's a natural extension of of what you're feeling depending on what you're listening and I think it just it just kind of uh, yeah just takes over your natural rhythm and, and your body especially I mean how many times have you caught yourself tapping your foot to, to the beat of a song you didn't even know you were doing it well, so. I was gonna say are you more likely to dance when no one's watching or even like in the car like uh, you know move a little bit to the music oh yeah yeah, I, I'm much more liberal with my moves when I know that I'm not being judged for, for them. Um, now, slow dancing, I'll, I'll take my wife out on the dance floor any time for a slow dance. But I, I just, even even growing up, uh, you know, in the 80s, uh, I, you know, I, I was always in awe. I could never even master the, the moonwalk, never figured it out. I look like... Um, Look like Frankenstein's creature just walking backwards when I try to do it. So, uh, you know, so many people are so nimble and they're so I mean, break dancing. Used to I, that's still unfathomable to me. I don't have any clue how they did it. Tried the worm once and it just hurt a lot. <laughs> so I can't even get the robot. So how about you? Yeah, dancing as an art form is clearly something that I'll never be engaged in. Right. Um, not don't have the coordination for that. But like you say, it's an expression of emotion, especially after, maybe after having a few at, at a wedding. Uh, you become a little um, less self-conscious. Well, yeah, you bring up a good point. If 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 it's an open bar, you're more <laughs> likely to see me out on the dance floor before the night's through. And, and if everyone else is having a good time and looking stupid, you kind of feel like maybe uh, everyone isn't just watching you. But I think that's the thing. It's the self-consciousness. And that probably comes from the fact that how many times have, you know, we've been out somewhere and, and you see somebody out there just kind of making a fool of themselves. Right, yeah. And instead of, you know, celebrating the fact that they just are enjoying themselves, we have a tendency to, to want to ridicule sometimes when people uh, look a little bit different than everybody else. And so there's that idea that people are saying that about you as well. So it really has to kind of be an all in, like you say, with some spirits involved uh, before you ever see me out there. Yep. No, same. And, and, you know, it's kind of funny in that respect, I, especially the early eighties, when you get into the new wave stuff and the punk, you know, um, of the seventies, dancing was really just jumping up and down. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then pogo dancing. I mean, even we can go into House of Pain, jump around, or crisscross, jump. I mean, you know, so much of dancing is just a a, a just playing like you're on the trampoline. Right, so right. that I have no problem with. It's when you know, I and I I've often thought it'd be cool to learn how to dance. Like even with with Gail, I've I've said, why don't we take some dance lessons? Um, you know, learn the foxtrot or, or, you know, whatever. Um, learn anything beyond the conga line, I, I suppose. But she never takes me up on it. She already knows how to dance. So she just kind of rolls her eyes and walks away. But um, probably a good thing. I'd probably just pull a groin. <laughs> so, yeah, at our age, probably not best to learn. Yeah, no, I would end up, I'm sure, uh, in bed, bruised and battered. So... Well, last time I think I started, which was really advantageous to me because I think we had a record five matches, all of them, which went to me because of the order. Do you start or is it every time I start the first side and you start the second? I start the first side. Okay. Every time you start the second. Is that what happened last time? Okay. Yeah. Last time it was side B. Um, We'll see if that happens again. (laughs) Yeah. um, You did five times in a row. You you literally stole my very next song. That's a record. We'll see if that's ever matched. Yeah. I, I... 
I ended the day with just one alternate left. That has never happened. So um, I don't know. I, I you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have matches going into today's episode. So we'll, we'll have to see. But yeah, it's my turn to begin. All right, let's get so, started. Um, all right. Well, my first one comes from 1987. Um, it was a number one song on Billboard's Hot 100. In fact, it fell in the middle of a remarkable seven-song run of U.S. number ones for this artist. I'm talking, of course, about Whitney Houston. I think um, we have a match. <laughs> well, there we go. So, well, you know, I shouldn't say that because she's on my alternate oh, list. Oh, is so she? Okay. It's not going to technically be a match. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, those those seven number ones, they were just spread across her first two albums. And this one, uh, you know, it was just one more. I Want to Dance with Somebody uh, was the lead single from her second album, Whitney. And, you know, it was guaranteed airplay. But it exceeded even the sky-high expectations that came with it. The single sold 3 million copies in America, while the album moved 9 million. And the, the song won the Grammy Award for Best Pop Vocal Performance. Female, it also took the American Music Award for Favorite Pop Rock Single. Um, she did not write the song, of course. Uh, it was actually written by George Merrill and Shannon Rubicam. Uh, now, you may not know those names. They were a married couple since divorced, but they were married and they were songwriters who also formed their own uh, musical uh, duo, I, I suppose. I don't know that they had, I'm sure they had a packing band, but um, they were they were known as Boy Meets Girl. Do you remember them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had, um, really, they were a one-hit wonder. Uh, the one big hit was Waiting for a Stall, Star to Fall. Right, um, right. But they wrote two of Whitney's number ones. They wrote not only I Want to Dance with Somebody, but they also wrote How Will I Know. Which is nearly similar. <laughs> yeah, it's the same song. Yeah. It really is. Um, but yeah, they when they recorded the, the demo, um, they really wanted to use the song for a Boy Meets Girl album. But uh, they they had already promised to, to share it with Clive Davis. And um, so they mixed it and, you know, allegedly... The way that they recorded it was more of a rock song, which I can't really imagine. And Boy Meets Girl was not a rock group, so mm-hmm. I kind of laugh, yeah. I kind of laughed at that description. I don't know what that actually means. But then they literally ran to the airport with the cassette in hand to meet Davis, who was getting on a plane. Uh, he wanted it before he left town, and he took it with them, listened to it on the plane, and immediately called them from his flight to tell them that um, you know their their chances of recording it as Boy Meets Girl were nil uh, because. He told them that they, there was no way in hell that he was giving the song back. Uh, he knew right then and there it would be a major hit for Houston, and it was. Time. 
that is how I'm beginning. I can tell you this song brings into the dance floor when I DJ every time. All ages, all generations. I mean, everybody comes out when, when, when this begins to play. Just those few opening... Uh, just those few opening bars, those few measure, you know opening measures, and and people just really react to this one. So I thought it'd be a great way to start the mixtape. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of a race for who the the queen of pop of the '80s really is. Um, and I think both deserve the crown. Of course, Madonna and Whitney, Whitney Houston. Houston yeah. um, but Whitney Houston definitely had those string, uh, that large string of number ones. I think does she still hold the record? I think of the most number ones. You know that I don't know. I didn't check for on female that. artists. She had their record for a long time. Um, but yeah, I mean, she was, you know, her songs were infectious. She had an incredible voice. I still stand by, and a lot of people agree with this, that her rendition of the Star Spangled Banner is the greatest ever recorded. It is. And it is. of course, it's a tragedy what happened uh, later in, in her career, but uh, we still have uh, lots of great music to remember her by. Oh, so, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, I I always really enjoyed Whitney Hughes. I, I, I owned all of her albums, um, but I, you know, definitely not... Uh, my favorite artist or one of my favorite, I, you, you know, I was more of a, a rocker, but I, yeah, I mean, she, her voice was just, it was unparalleled. And I know she didn't have the range of some of the other artists. Mariah, I think likely has a greater range, but Whitney Houston, she was so personable and mm-hmm. she was so, uh, frankly, she was just so warm and, and she was girl next door. She really was. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you just Whereas felt Ma- like Madonna wasn't. So that's Madonna kind of the biggest was different. No, Madonna, right. Madonna was the bad girl right. that your parents prayed you would not come home with. But right. I, uh, yeah, no, I, I just thought it'd be a fitting beginning to the episode. And all right. That, that was on my alternate list, but that doesn't count as a, no. a, okay. as a match, but a kind of semi match. All right. Well, I'm going to go with the, with a rock song next. All right. Okay. And uh, that would be a song that's produced by Nile Rodgers, which you think doesn't necessarily line up with uh, rock per se as um, being from uh, Chic and uh, some of those funk classics. Um, but this one was uh, when David Bowie and Nile Rodgers decided to team up. And Bowie's only number one in both the U.S. and the U.K., and that, of course, is Let's Dance. And we have a match. All right. <laughs> First one. Let's see if we can... First one, yes. I have to take Let's Dance five. off my list here. Okay. The song began a new commercial phase in Bowie's career, one that earned uh, a lot of new fans, uh, especially early 80 fans that maybe didn't grow up with, with Bowie's 70s offerings, um, but kind of led him in a really strange direction creatively. In fact, Bowie does not look back on his 80s material fondly. No. Um, well, well, of course he's passed now, but he refers to it as his, uh, or he referred to it as his Phil Collins years, <laughs> which I thought was funny. But I think there are a few bright spots in the '80s, and this is definitely one of them. Oh yeah, um, the video was usually popular in MTV. We've talked about at length why um, a lot of songs that may not have hit uh, in any other decade or time period were really helped along by by MTV. Um, the video had uh, all sorts of, of themes of consumerism and racism and oppression and. Uh, there's a lot of symbolism in that with the red shoes, which I'm not going to get into. But if you want to go back and watch the video on YouTube, there's a lot of discussion about the symbolism in the video. Um, but the one thing about the video that always kind of bugged me, do you know what I'm going to bring up here? I think. I, I don't want to... Well, s- well, the guitar solo was performed by an up-and-coming blues yeah, Stevie, guitarist, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Right. Uh, at the time, was not a, a legend as he, as he is now or considered now. And uh, David Bowie uh, you know, is mimicking playing guitar in the video. Right. And so fans of Steve Vaughan are very bothered by the fact that uh, he tried to cop it off as having played that solo on yeah. the record. I figured that was where you were going, but I, I didn't want to 
didn't want to take take that guess. Um, this this one of those timeless '80s staples that rises like beyond the guilty pleasure songs uh, of the '80s. That's just a solid offering. Yeah, just- yeah, yeah. No, this this is definitely not a, a guilty pleasure by by any means. And and you're right, Stevie Ray. I mean, he uh, he received the call from Bowie, I guess, to, to play on the record uh, because Bowie had was so impressed when he saw Vaughn perform at the Montreux Jazz Festival a year earlier. Um, and you know, it really does stand out. Now, Rogers, who produced the track, like you said. In a 2018 AMA Reddit, he actually uh, said that he wishes there were cell phones back when they recorded Let's Dance. So he could have captured the look on Stevie Ray's face uh, when he first heard the track. He had no idea what he was playing. No idea what he was getting (laughs) into. That's funny. Rogers added that he he knew it was uh, so important that the first thing he played was one single note, a B flat, uh, to stay out of the way of the groove. But Rogers said then he, he ripped as he got more comfortable with the band and everyone in the room. And um, I guess he and Rogers became lifelong friends. Um, Rogers went on to produce the Vaughn Brothers uh, and, and also gave the eulogy at Stevie Ray Vaughan's funeral. Hmm. So, wow. Um, but no, it is uh, it is a solid, solid number. And I'm not surprised at all that we, we matched on that one. not a dance song per se but you can dance to this song you can oh yeah there's a funky groove to it and you know it was bowie's only transatlantic number one yeah only one uh so yeah it it was a huge hit and and for good reason all right that's my my choice yeah very good all right well this one um i don't know if we'll match or if you just knew i'd have it or or I, i don't know but this one comes from 1984 it hit number two. It is actually the biggest uh, hit of his career. Never had a number one. We have a match on that, by Do the we? way. But again, on, on my alternate, alternate list, list because I knew you would have it. Okay. So doesn't count. <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, yeah, but um, Dancing in the Dark, of course. I don't know if I've actually named the song yet or not. Well, if you don't know by now. Right. Um, it was the last song written for Born in the USA. Uh, Springsteen wrote the song after his manager, John Lundell, uh, basically demanded a hit single for the album. And after a brief altercation, Springsteen complied and, and wrote the song that same night. It was really a classic case of a manager or record exec getting an artist so fired up that the energy channels into a hit, giving them exactly what they were looking for. Uh, the song is in part about Bruce's difficulty writing a hit single. Uh, and his frustration trying to write songs that would please people. 
uh, he struggles, his, you know, these struggles pour out in the lyric where he feels like a hired gun, you know, dying for some action. He even addresses an industry trope, which has been used many times before. They say, you got to stay hungry. Hey, baby, I'm just about starving tonight. Uh, ironically, Dancing in the Dark, the song that Springsteen did not want to record or was, you know, not looking to record, did, as I said, become his biggest uh, single of his career. Um, but, you know, despite Landau's demand for a hit single, and, and you know this well enough, Springsteen was doing just fine. Uh, six successful albums in his discography and an unparalleled concert reputation. I mean, he had over 70 songs written for Born in the USA, and Landau did not think that any of them were go- would go on to become a, a hit single, which, of course, Springsteen proved him very wrong because that album had a run of... Seven. Yeah. Seven total top yeah, 40 hits. Exactly. So, so Born in, uh, Dance in the Dark was number one, and then he had six singles that followed, which may be the record. We talked about all these mega albums in the 80s that produced five, six right. singles, but I'm not sure. Thriller might have had seven or, or close. Thriller would be the only one that I think might be closer. Thriller might have beat him I you know Thriller though it's so iconic now I don't remember what was and was not released right, because right. every song on that album is you know fair game right um, you know everyone, well there, everyone let's see there was, there was Beat It there was Billie Jean there was Wanna Be Starting Something there was The Girl Is Mine uh, of course there's Thriller there's PYT there's Human Nature already we have seven um, so there's what, at least now, a now see, were, was PYT a single a it single was. It, it was, was. okay yeah. mm-hmm. see that's one that I, I I would assume, yeah. but I, I... So it at least ties if it doesn't beat... Well, the uh, other one, what is it, Lady in My Lady, Life, that that was, that was not a that single. That was not a single. Correct. The video, getting back to Springsteen, it was directed by Brian De Palma, um, and it was filmed during Springsteen's concert at the St. Paul Civic Center in Minnesota. Uh, Courtney Cox was not a paid attendee. She was planted in the audience. She had got uh, gotten the role of the adoring fan in the front row, who gets to dance on stage with Bruce, of course. Um, Despite the song title, the dancing took place in good light. (laughs) I'll just throw that out there. Uh, Springsteen performed Dancing in the Dark midway through the show. So by that time, he was good and sweaty. The crowd was worked into a frenzy. And to get the shot, Springsteen actually performed the song twice with De Palma repositioning his cameras after the first take. And and the video, it was in heavy, heavy TV rotation. And I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to bed feeling the same way I ain't nothing but tired Man, I'm just tired and bored with myself Hey there, baby I could use just a little You can't start a fire
fact, everybody thought that this one would hit number one. Right. Um, Duran Duran kept them out uh, of the top, kept him out of the top spot for for a while with the reflex. Yeah. And then they, you know, even Bruce thought he was going to slide in once they fell. But just at that moment, here came Prince and his crying doves. Yeah. And. You know, he was. It was just destined to be a number two hit. Well, Lando may have been right too, because the, the momentum of the single may have carried on with the other singles, right? I, I mean, agree. once he became this household name with with the newer fans, uh, they may have been less likely to uh, have started this string with an "I'm on fire" or "Cover Me." That, and that's true. Yeah. I mean, the other, this is clear. This is the song that you get up and dance to. And right. when when he plays it live in concert, I mean, you know, it, if people sat through. The entirety of the concert, I mean, we're you know we're old and old people do that often. Everyone stands up right, right. when it comes time to play "Dance in the Dark." Yeah, so it, it, it surprises me a little bit that Springsteen fans uh, embraced it as much as they did. I think Springsteen fans up to this point were so hungry, right, to preach the gospel of Bruce Springsteen. Oh yeah, and yeah. to convince people that that not only live but you know his studio records were something to behold. And he had a little bit of commercial success, with, of course, with "Born to Run" and with uh, "Hungry Heart" and a few songs up to this point, but not the widespread you know megastar sure. type of uh, um, treatment. And you to think. You'd think a lot of you know traditional Springsteen fans would have been turned off by the fact that, and, and I will say, this is one of Springsteen songs that didn't age well musically with the synth. There are a few on Born in the USA with the synth that are just a little synth heavy. They are. That had they been stripped down a little bit more, probably would, would, would sound a little more timeless. I love it because it's part of Springsteen and it's a fun song. Um, but sometimes if you listen to his acoustic version of it where he really strips it down, it's such a powerful song. Oh, it is. It is. And that's the thing. like The, the lyrics are kind of dark. Uh, mm-hmm. In true Springsteen fashion, the lyrics don't always necessarily match what's going on sonically. And so, yeah, it sounds like this great party song that everybody gets up to dance to. But really, like you said, it's about this artist really struggling between you know artistic merit and commercialism. And how do you balance the two? Or, you oh, know, yeah. lightning in a bottle, have both, which is, can, can be very right. rare. Yeah, no, very dark lyrics. You know, I want to change my clothes, my hair, my face. You know, he's, he, you know the, the character in the song you know, whether or not it's Bruce himself, um, he is, he's not a happy guy. Right, <laughs> so, right. you know, that you're right. The, the tempo and then the, the vibe of the song do not jibe, uh, with what is actually spoken there in the, in the lyrics. Um, no, it, it's just, I don't know. I figured it was a yeah. guarantee and I really thought it'd be a match. So you, you relegated it to your alternates list. Alternates, yes. I'm going to run out of alternates. Yeah. The video pains me too, by the way. Um, <laughs> Springsteen, especially in a live setting, uh, should never be forced to do a strained, awkward (laughs) dance. It is so bad. I mean, I love Brian De Palma. I have a lot of respect for Brian De Palma, but just, 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 just let him do his thing. I mean, he, he, he brings people up on stage all the time. Don't, don't do this eighties, you know, elbow back and forth kind of dance thing. It's just, it's painful to watch. It's not him. You can tell he wasn't comfortable doing it. Oh no. He did it with a smile. I'll give him credit. He he did. Yeah. But it is a forced smile without question. And, And Courtney Cox, of course, we know how her career ended up, but um, this was uh, what opened the door for her because soon after she got the role on Family Ties. Yeah, and, that's true. And, uh, you know, of course, then went on to Friends. But, yeah, no, I, Dancing in the Dark, it is one for the ages, and I think it's it's one everyone remembers very fondly from the 80s. So, And it is one that you can kind of dance to. So, yeah, that is not one of the, the t- one of the two songs that I had been referring to. Um there you go. All There's right. my second song. All right. Well, my next one um, was a top 20 hit. The first 
top 20 hit for a little band that you may have heard of from the, the late 70s and 80s and beyond called Van Halen. That one I did not choose. Oh, okay. We don't have a match. I, All right. I, it, was, I, it was on my short I was list waiting. for a long time, but then I, I took it off. So. From Van Halen 2 from 1979, this is Dance the Night Away. Yes. A song which, by the way, I didn't know until um, this week, was inspired by Fleetwood Mac's Go Your Own Way. Was it really? Yeah, which you can see the similarity. I, I can, but I never would have made that connection on my own. David Lee Roth wanted to title the song Dance Lolita Dance. <laughs> But uh, Eddie Van Halen, who, of course, has also passed recently, uh, convinced him that Dance the Night Away was a much better title. So thank you, Eddie, for uh, intervening (laughs) there. Um, You know, for me, at least, Van Halen's always walked that line between hard rock and pop. Yeah. And this song is a great example of that. Um, The rock credentials are clearly there, um, but the melody and the backing vocals give it a populism that I think that pop fans can, well, dance to, right? Um, For whatever reason... Uh, the song was never played during the Sammy Hagar era, but it did return to the live lineup later in their career, and they continued to play it. So it, it's just a yeah, it's just a fun song. Which era of Van Halen did you prefer? By oh, I, I got to go David Lee Roth. Yeah? Yeah. I, you know, it's kind of funny. I think Sammy is the better musician. Um, but David Lee Roth, he just, he was the well, better he, front man. He, he, David yeah. Lee, he, I mean, unless you consider vocal. I mean, he's not a musician. I don't think David Lee Roth plays an instrument. Right, yeah. And Hagar does. Well, so. but what I'm saying is, you know, Sammy was kind of like the, the full package, though. Right, yes. You know, he could do it all. And he did it exceptionally well. But but David Lee Roth, he just had that charisma, he had and that he charisma. you know as a front man, far far outshined um, you know Hagar on his best day. But um, plus, I to me you know the the earlier albums I think are just so they're, they're so more so, so much more raw. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the time Hagar came in, Van Halen was more polished. It wasn't. It did. It never felt the same to me. Yeah. I guess. So, yeah, they're they're definitely produced, but um, I don't know. To me, David Lee Roth, and I like him. He's a character, but he can easily fall into that kind of lounge singer character. Oh, he can. Uh, yeah, you know, kind of yeah, a yeah. Vegas actor. I think he, he did have a Vegas act for a while. <laughs> it uh, wouldn't surprise me. Whereas yeah. you know, Hagar came in with those rock credentials, having a solid soul career prior to to joining Van Halen. Right. So well, and then remember David Lee Roth. He went and did that single. I went, not it was it wasn't a single. It was an EP. The EP Crazy EP, from the Heat. Cra- yes, where uh, he did Just a Gigolo and Just California Gigolo, Girls, Girls and, and yeah, um, Coconut Grove. Yeah, 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 totally went against the grain on that one. Yeah, and that was uh, in fact Just Gigolo. Is kind of that uh, it is, but I love it. I love I love his version of this. I mean, you know, he's I don't know David Lee Roth. I just still to this day, I, I just I get a kick out of him. So yeah, it's kind of hard to talk too much about Dance Night Away because in some of these songs, that's going to be a common theme here. Uh, unlike Dancing in the Dark, which which we mentioned does have a little of a heavier subject matter. A lot of these are just just for fun. So right. that's all I had to say about that one. Okay. Yeah, no, it was on my short list. I uh, I had to let it go. I had to let a lot of songs go, which really hurt. 
Okay, so my next song. This one I do not see how you dance to. I mean, maybe you can prove me wrong. Uh, but it is, to me, it is, <laughs> it's too slow. It's too, just, it'd be a really awkward dance step, I, I suppose. Uh, this one actually was recorded for a Greatest Hits album. It's only found on the Greatest Hits album from 1993. Hmm. It hit number 14 on the charts. It is by Tom Petty, and it is titled Mary Jane's Last Dance. She grew up in an Indiana town, had a good-looking mom. She never was around, but she grew up tall, and she grew up right with them Indiana boys on an Indiana night. Petty never revealed what the song is actually about, but there are two common interpretations. Uh, the first is that Petty wrote the song about his divorce from his wife, Jane, which happened just a year before the song was recorded. The second and more common interpretation, of course, is that the song is about marijuana. Uh, right, right. You know, The lyrics add weight to that theory, reminding us that a dance with Mary Jane will kill the pain. You know, uh, Heartbreakers guitarist Mike Campbell has said that Petty never revealed the deeper meaning of the song to the band either. In an interview with Rolling Stone, Campbell said that uh, my take on it is it can be whatever you want it to be. A lot of people think it's a drug reference, and if that's what you want to think, it very well could be, but it also could just be a goodbye love song. Uh, Petty made some strange videos. Oh, this career. one, Kim Basinger, right? Yeah, Kim, was yeah it was Kim Basinger. Um, you know, I mean, the first time I remember seeing Petty on MTV was... Don't come around here no more. Yeah, yeah when, when it was the play on Alice, mm-hmm. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Um, but this one, probably the most bizarre he ever did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tom played a mortician who takes home a corpse played by Kim Basinger. Yeah, and when he gets her home, he puts her in a wedding dress and dances with her. It's very macabre. It, it really is. Then then he puts her in a pickup truck and throws her into the ocean. And she opens her eyes as she sinks. So <laughs> this uh, won Best Male Video at the MTV Music Video Awards. And, and uh, you know, Petty seems strangely comfortable in the role of mortician. I never knew this. It might be because before he became the rock and roll legend that he was, he used to be a grave digger. Really? Yeah. Hmm. That, that, that surprised me. I did not know that. Um, but Petty, he wanted uh, a raving beauty to play the corpse. So it would make sense why his character keeps her around. Uh, Basinger then was an obvious choice for the video, but she was not Petty's first choice. Petty actually wanted Sharon Stone hmm. because this song was released immediately following, of course, Base Against right, Act. Right. Uh, Petty told Mojo Magazine in 2010 uh, that, yeah, he, he wanted um, Sharon Stone, but she never answered his request, and Basinger was a huge fan who, who basically leapt at the opportunity to be in the video with him so um but yeah i mary jane I, I know he dances in the video to the song 
but yeah. that does not mean no, that, that yeah. does not mean that this is a danceable song. <laughs> so I always kind of saw it as maybe quitting um, substance. Yeah, I did too. You know, last actually. last chance to kill the pain, like uh, trying maybe going through rehab or just trying to clean up a little bit. Yeah, you know, I, not I mean not that no one's no, going to no. be addicted to marijuana per se, but just in general as a way of saying, you know what, I'm going to take a break from this stuff. But. Yeah, I, I've often thought about it the same way. But yeah, he, I, maybe maybe Petty didn't know what yeah. the song was about. I know? do like the, I mean, you know, we're both horror fans, right? Right, yeah. And uh, there aren't a lot of horror, there are a few horror videos, of course, Thriller being the number one. Sure. Uh, but there are, a lot, there are a lot of dark videos out there. Uh, this one, though, is, is one that I think would fit nicely in, as, a, as a short story by Stephen King. Oh, it, yeah. What have you. So. Without question. All right. My turn? Your turn. All right. Uh, here's one um, you might have, and this one is, uh, it's it's from a band that's a one-hit wonder in terms of like a one-album hit wonder, okay? Hmm. okay. And they're from, they're from Philadelphia, and they had the distinct pleasure of opening Live Aid. Uh-huh. Did you have this one? No. All right. No. Uh, not a fan? Oh, it's not that I'm not a fan. I just, I, I there were too many other songs that okay. I, I wanted to include. I mean, I... It came to mind. I just never really played with it, you know, in a, in a serious manner. I'm referring to And We Dance by the Hooters. Yes. From the, I think, extremely uh, underrated album, Nervous Night from 1995. Um, so I guess they're a more obscure band from the 80s, uh, although I had the album and, and listened to it and wore it out. So to me, they're not very obscure. Um, but they did have a string of a few hits yeah. uh, in 85, including... Uh, all you zombies. Yeah, which to me is just an incredible song. It really is. In fact, last year I thought of including that. On oh, the Halloween, yeah, Halloween episode. right? I really did. Um, the band actually had a, a, a kind of a, a demo album, I should say. It was kind of an indie album release uh, prior to this, and it just didn't do very well. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought this was their first. No, it okay. didn't. It didn't do very well. But then uh, the, the the founders of the band, Rob Hyman and uh, Eric uh, Bazilian. Uh, were hired to work on another album uh, from a young artist named Cindy Lauper. Do you remember I said uh, last season Rob Hyman co-wrote Time After Time with Cindy? Right, yeah. Okay, so both of them worked on this album. Of course, then uh, She's So Unusual by Cindy Lauper became a huge mega hit, and the company came back and said, all right, we're going to give you another chance as a band to create a hit. And so huh. really, Cindy Lauper kind of saved the Hooters career, at least for one more album. That's very uh, And there cool. were others after, but... Yeah, I did not know that. And, um, you know, they, they earned this international recognition when they opened Live Aid in Philadelphia, which um, Bob Geldof wasn't really for because he had never heard of them. Um, but it turned out... I, me- I remember I watched it live. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was in Philly, so it was great to have uh, a Philly band kind of open the show. Uh, they were named Best New Band of the Year by Rolling Stone magazine. Yes, they were. So it wasn't like I was alone in my opinion here. Uh, but unfortunately, the band never copied the success of Nervous Night. Um, however, the, the members continued to work together in, in various forms and solo projects and side projects through the following decades. She was a
one last note about the Hooters. They got their name from. Uh, the I know what you're thinking. I, well, you know what I'm thinking. I know thinking. what everyone's I'm, thinking. I'm, I'm going right to the restaurant. But that's not. No, well, okay, the restaurant or. Well, I, I was. The anatomy in which the restaurant is based on. I was going to go with the. Yeah. Actually, not. Actually, not. There is an instrument called the melodica. Which is kind of a harmonica, like I want to say, almost like a flute harmonica hybrid keyboard, where you know you you play it with the is, mouth. And is that you, what that's called? Yeah, melodica. Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. And it has kind of a harmonica sound, but you can change the notes with the little keyboard. Um, I believe it's actually played at the beginning of "And We Danced." You can hear the the beginning. Sure. Um, yeah. the, the the nickname for the melodica is a hooter. Really? Play the hooter. Yeah, no, I, I, of course I was thinking breasts. I, I was just trying <laughs> right. to be appropriate by going with wings. And I think instead. we all thought that in yeah. the 80s. There uh, was just kind of a reference to that, right. but it is not. No, it, it's a great song. And, I, you know, when I, when I made my first list and I went through and just what songs have dance in the title, I, it was there. But I just, there were too many other songs that were, for, yeah. were just far more important to me. So I, I let it go. But glad you have it. I mean, they really were a really... They're they're just a criminally underrated, very what well, they're a forgotten band of the '80s, which yeah. which is really sad because there was a lot of power, a lot of potential there. Um, yep. Now I never know own the album though, yeah. so yeah, I just I wanted to kind of remind the listeners of this band, and uh, I just yeah, I mean it fit dances in the title. It's a great song, great story yeah. for the band. So uh, if you get a chance on Spotify, if 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 not, I mean go right buy the album if you can. But right. at least go check out Nervous Night on Spotify. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. So I, would you rec- you'd recommend the album still years later? How how does it hold up? You know, it's a good question because after raving about it, I actually haven't listened to it in its entirety in a while. Okay. So um, I just remember at the time loving it. So I'm sure my tastes have changed, okay. but uh, I'd probably stand by at least, you know, definitely the, the lead singles were solid. Okay. Um, yeah, I, was but say, I remember I, liking all of it. Yeah, because I, I, I didn't even buy the singles. I mean, of course, I have them now in my drive for for DJing. No one ever requests them, of course, but um, never bought the album. And I, I knew their singles, liked them, but I... Never, never purchased. I even have a greatest hits CD from the Hooters. Wait, they have a greatest. They have hits. a greatest hits. Is CD. it literally just album? No, no. They had, a, they had, like I said, they had the demo record before. They had some good stuff on it. They had some albums afterwards. But I mean, in terms of chart success, no. I mean, no. they, they were. It was pretty much pretty yeah. much confined to okay. Nervous Night. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. Okay, yeah. I have to look them up and give them a, a fair listen from start to finish. All right. Well, my my fourth song. Uh, I'm, I'm about to enter a kind of I'm going to ride a wave of older tunes here so whether or not we have any matches I do not know but this one comes from 1966 and it is the third version of the song to be recorded and to kind of make its way well I think we're going to have a match uh, a partial match okay um yeah it is uh well first of all it's Land of a Thousand Dances. Oh, no, no, no. We don't have a match. Don't now. have a match? Okay. I'm not a fan of this song. Right. So yeah, Land of... Really? That. I'm not. I love this song. Well, do you know why I'm not? It. I'll just get it off the top and then you can talk about it. Because uh, at Layman, I went to Layman. You went to Crenshaw. Crenshaw okay. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they had it at Crenshaw too, but there was a cheerleading chant that was the melody to that. And uh, I remember just like going to practice and hearing the cheerleaders practice this cheerleading chant. And it was just, I didn't know the song at the time. Okay. I just know that the, the melody annoyed the crap out of me. And then later on, probably when I met you and you introduced me to a lot of early rock and roll, I'm like, oh no, it's that cheerleading chant again. <laughs> so it's unfair. It's a great song. It's just my now, own bias. Now are you talking about the, ref- the na 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 yes, refrain? that's okay. what I'm referring okay. to. Well, the original song did not include that. Oh, okay. So right. just to let you know. Now I'm not going with the original. Okay. But the original uh, recording was by Chris Kenner 
and it, it peaked at number 77 on Billboard uh, in 1963. And in his version, 16 dances were mentioned. The Pony, the Chicken, the Mashed Potato. Curious how many of these you've heard of. There's some I've not heard of. The Alligator, the Watusi, the Twist, the Fly, the Jerk, the Tango, the Yo-Yo. I don't know what that one is. Uh, the Sweet Pea, don't know that one. The Hand Jive, the Slop. I don't know what the Slop is. The Bop, the Fish, and the Popeye. No turtle in there? No turtle, no. no. Sorry, Bluto. Uh, Kenner's original recording included a brief gospel-influenced a cappella introduction with the words, children, go where I send you, to which they respond, where will you send me? And he says, I'm going to send you to that land, the land of a thousand dances. So this 18 seconds, though, was left off the single release to facilitate radio airplay, and the phrase Land of a Thousand Dances never appeared in any subsequent recording. The, the title's just not in the song. Fats Domino got a composer credit on this one, even though he had nothing to do with writing the song. Oh. Kenner offered him uh, the credit and half the royalties if Domino would record it, which he did, but Domino's version flopped, and Kenner's version ended up being a bigger hit. But again, it only charted at 77. Uh, Domino had previously charted with another Kenner song called Sick and Tired, and Kenner had a big hit in 61 with uh, Domino's song, I Like It Like That. But then in 1964, okay, two years uh, after Kenner and Domino recorded the song, it was then covered by a Mexican-American Los Angeles rock band called Cannibal and the, ha- and the Headhunters. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, which their version, it's not uncommon to hear their version. Uh, it, it gets much more play than Kenner's ever did. They took it to number 30 in the U.S. And uh, this was the first version of the song to include that I'm just going to call it now the cheerleader chant. That uh, primal na-na-na-na-na hook, um, it happened by accident because lead singer Frankie Cannibal Garcia forgot the lyrics during a live performance. And the melody to this section was also created spontaneously. Hmm. Like I said, that, that melody is not actually part of the original song at all. Um, and, you know, it, it's not in Kenner's or Domino's original track. The hook gave the song further notoriety, though, and, and the song quickly became very popular among bar bands who would often sing the na-nas instead of the actual words to the song. Right. And um, basically, you know, that stood as the, the defining version until 1966, the song that I'm, I'm going to okay. throw so, out there. Okay. In 66, the greatest version of the song, and that's not just me, I mean, it, the, you know, rock critics, pretty much everyone agrees to that point, was recorded by the legendary soul man Wilson Pickett. Right. Okay. His version of the song was the biggest hit. It climbed the Hot 100 to number six. Uh, it was the first of several songs that Pickett recorded at Fame Studios in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. You know, Muscle Shoals comes up on my list. Yeah, no. Every every week. It, it was it a just, solid sound produced. Yeah, there. I mean, it, they were 
just at the top of the game. Now, Dance is mentioned in uh, Pickett's version far fewer. Um, he trims the list considerably. He mentions only six of the 1,000 dances, and those would be the pony, the mashed potato, the alligator, the twist, the Watusi, and he adds the jerk, which was not in the original version. Okay. So that is the first of a few oldies that I'm, I'm about to throw out here. So I bet we have a partial match with my next pick, but we'll, we'll see what okay. how that works. All right. So. All right. Well, I will revisit the song with a renewed... Uh, you know, approach, and I'll try to forget the cheerleading chant and, okay. and listen to it in a new light. Fair enough. But you know how you know how certain commercials can ruin a song for you. Sometimes oh. it's kind of like that oh, yeah. for me. Very well. So. Yeah. All right. Well, my next one is a classic of all classics. I would be surprised if you did not have it. So this could be a match, but maybe you don't. It's Moon Dance by Van Morrison. I have it on my alternate right. list. Okay. It is a. Yeah, uh, so I matched on my alternates. We haven't done that with you in a while. A, uh, a few surprising notes about this classic song. Um, it was actually recorded in 1970 and included on the third release of the same name. So it was on his album. Right. But was not released as a single in the United States until seven years later in 1977. Okay, yeah, I, w- I was thrown there when you said 70. Originally. I mean, I know when the album was right. released, but okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, I can't think. Of, I can't think of another example where a song was released seven, with the exception of maybe a greatest hits album coming out, right? Sure. And a song being included that wasn't a single at the time, and then was a single for the greatest hits promotion. But I can't think of an example where just kind of out of the blue, seven years later, they decided to release a song from yeah. from an album that old. No, I mean, I can think of a few examples where songs charted, and then you have two, three decades in between, and they chart again. They're right. released. Um, Stand by Me when the movie came out. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, um, Bohemian like Rhapsody that. with Wayne's World. But yeah, just there has to be more of the story that I didn't uncover. It, it, hmm. I, maybe it was being just being there was a lot of airplay. All of a sudden, people discovered the song again, or maybe know. in 1977 it wasn't a movie. I don't know. But I, for whatever reason, they decided to officially release it as a single and became a hit in the U.S. in 1977, as, as it would have in 1970. Honestly, I mean, yeah. I, it is Moon Dance is my favorite uh, album by. Van Morrison. Astro Weeks is a close second, but yeah, it's just it is so jazzy. Yeah, but, but I'm still in. I'm still no. In, I just I was still in say, your still in your thunder. Yeah, I did not it include is, it. It's the song he plays most frequently, so um, obviously people enjoy it as much as we do. Um, it, it's hard to, to think of Van Morrison without thinking of Moon Dance, right? right? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I always say listening to this song kind of elevates your own cool factor. Uh, maybe if not nothing else in your own mind, right? I just feel cooler when I listen to this song. Like oh, yeah. I feel cultured. Oh yeah. And uh, to me, it's that quick go-to um, at a party, or maybe if you're on a road trip and you just want to kind of classen up the atmosphere or the vibe a little bit, um, you put on Moon Dance and you just just you know it just kind of elevates mm-hmm. everything a little bit. Um, and you know, as a jazz fan, I'm assuming you Uh-oh. dig this I mean jazz is always in some way a part of rock and roll of course but there are a few songs I think is overtly jazz well it's a marvelous night for a moon dance with the stars up above in your eyes a fantabulous night to make romance neat the cover of October skies you know the leaves on the trees are falling to the sound of the breezes that blow you know I'm trying to please to the calling Of your heartstrings that play soft and low You know the night's magic Seem to whisper and hush You know the soft 
Whenever I'm talking with my clients, because I DJ mostly weddings, and I, I try to really sell, of course I play whatever they want, but I try to really sell, you know, Rat Pack during either uh, cocktail hour or, or dinner, or sometimes, you know, the full stretch. Of, yeah, of class, class it up a little bit. So, you know, I'm, and typically, you know, in between the Sinatra and the, the you know, the Dean Martin, and, and, you know, just right in the midst of all the standards, I typically include... Moondance by Van Morrison. I mean, it, it sounds like it comes from that era. It's just, and it you know, it's so classy. I mean, there's a sophistication to it, but you know, it is one of those songs that, especially if you're outside in the autumn, you know, right there with the lyrics, you know, on an October night, it is just so fitting. I mean, it's it really is the perfect nighttime song. Yeah. And it might be the perfect nighttime song to dance to. So, do you he, even consider it a, a rock jazz hybrid, or is it just flat out jazz? Um, I, you know, to me, it, it certainly, um, it, you know, Van Morrison was not a jazz artist, so I it, clearly, you know, it, there were pop sensibilities there. But for me, I mean, it has the the swing feel, um, you know, within the the music itself. It, a lot of flute, yeah, it, it, <laughs> jazz it, flute. It really is. It's it is. I would argue it, you know, through and through. It really is a just a, a jazz number, but jazz is, you know. Like rock, jazz is such a subjective term. Sure. You know, we could spend hours debating what is jazz, what is good jazz, what is elevator music. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> it's know? a rhythm for jazz. Um, it's it's a, a different chords that are used in jazz right, primarily. Yeah. Um, yeah, this one and it this one does it harkens back to you know that nineteen forties, not quite a big band, although it, would, it could easily be played by a big band. It doesn't have that improvisational bebop hook of like a. A Dizzy Gillespie or a John Coltrane, you know, but it, he does a little. He does a little bit of the uh, well, scat. Yeah, the there's a little bit it. of scat in it. Um, I, but no, I, it's got that walking bass line. It does, yeah. And I, to me, it's a jazz song. Um, yeah. But uh, I, ju- I just love him. This is, now I feel bad that I put it on my alternates list, but I shouldn't because it's included. You did your job, so so yeah, you did my job. So that's <laughs> so. 1970 slash 1977 from Van Morrison. Great pick. Yep. All right. So, yeah, you haven't stolen one from my alternates list in a while. You just keep stealing from my... And you stole two from my alternates list. I did. And, and we don't have an actual match yet. Well, we do. Let's let's Dance was, was an actual match. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. Bowie. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's... Uh, I, I don't have to hit my, my alternates just yet. All right. My next song. I'm still in the 60s. This one is before Land of a Thousand Dances. Uh, it was released two years prior. This one, if... Uh, judging by your response... Uh, to my last pick I would not be surprised if this is a partial match as you said um, this comes from the album Dance Party it hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and it comes from Detroit from Motown um, it was by the band Martha Reeves and the Vandellas the song is Dancing in the Street not a match not a match okay I thought you were going and do you know why it's not a match why because the Bowie Mick Jagger version ruined the song for me. Okay. What, when, when you said partial match, that's where I thought you were. Was no, it going Bowie no. and Jagger? Which no one should ever, and, 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 ever and go the video. Bowie and I think the video ruined the song, and the song ruined other versions of the song for me. Well, to me, just the two of them 
Oh, <laughs> so I, bad. You know, and I love the Stones. I, I, I love Bowie, but the two of them should never have paired. Uh, th- their voices do not complement one oh, another. Oh, so bad. It's just a lot of awkward screaming, and it's <laughs> it, oh, their version is horrendous, and yet people love it. I, they love I, it. I, I, I don't I, know why. I, I don't know. I mean, like I say, the video is, is equally or, or worse. Oh, it's uh, worse. Or, or, it's worse. Have you ever, you've seen it where they turn off the volume, right, and you just listen no, have you is ever that, seen that? Is there like a I'll have to show that? that to you okay. here later. Okay. Um, but yeah, not it really is to me. It's just awful. And they debuted at Live Aid, no less. Oh, the two of them. Um, but no, when you said partial match, I thought you were going to. No, have. there's a song in there that has. I mean, it was the song we'll get to. It's at least three times was a hit, and 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 it's been covered probably five, six dozen times over the years. That's the one I think we might match on, but okay. we'll see. Okay. Um, well, this one is not it. But yep. dancing in the street by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Um, according to the song's co-writer, Mickey Stevenson, the idea for dancing came to him while riding with Marvin Gaye through Detroit. Um, during the summer, the city, and, and I think they still do, I, I don't know, but the city in the 60s anyway would open up fire hydrants and let the water mm-hmm. out yeah. into the streets so that um, you know children especially could play in the water to cool, to cool off. Marvin casually mentioned Stevenson that the children appeared to be dancing in the water. So the song was written during the height of the civil rights movement and many African-Americans misinterpreted the song. They actually thought it was written as a call to demonstrate in the streets Mm. of all the cities mentioned in the song, Chicago, New Orleans, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, D.C., and Detroit. And all these cities did in fact go through periods of civil unrest and riots. Uh, Marvin Gaye was never adverse to that interpretation, but yeah, it was a far more innocent uh, genesis. Martha Reeves, though, at this time, she was a secretary at Motown, and um, one of her duties was singing lyrics to new songs onto tapes so that backup singers could learn the words. And this led to fill-in work as a backup singer herself, where she impressed Motown executives with her voice, and she convinced them uh, then to allow her to sing lead vocals and to hire her former bandmates, Annette Sterling and Rosalind Ashford, and let them record as a trio. So after backing up Marvin Gaye on some of his songs, Motown gave uh, the three of them some songs of their own to sing, including the the mega hit, Your Love is Like a Heat Wave. So that that's really Martha Reeves. I remembered. love that song. Yeah, they're remembered largely for two songs. Right. And one is Heat Wave, the other, of course, is this. And both of them that's just... That's a great song. Both of them are summer songs. They, they really are. Well, Marvin Gaye first recorded Dancing in the Street, okay? But he was unhappy with the recording. He suggested that they try to sing the song with Martha Reeves. Martha was a world traveler, though, and she had visited both New Orleans and Rio de Janeiro during carnival season. And she thought that the lyrics, I mean, you know, it brought back those memories for her. She thought that Marvin Gaye was just singing the song wrong because he sang it more with a, a jazz hook, actually. And I don't know what that would sound like because I've never, I've never heard the demo or, or, you know, his recording. But she asked Marvin Gaye if she could sing it the way she felt it. He said, sure, go ahead. So Reeves sang the song as we know it today. Marvin Gaye loved it. There were congratulatory, you know, congratulatory hand slaps all around the studio. With, you know, until until the engineer Lawrence Horn looked out from the window and said, "I didn't turn the machine on." Oh. So Reeves had to sing it a second time, and annoyed that she had to repeat the performance, there was a little bit of anger there, and the slight change in her vocals added a further edginess to the song. According to Reeves, that's the secret of the success to the hit: is that she had to do it a second time. Hmm. Uh, producer Ivory Joe Hunter, one last. Uh, aside here, he liked everything about Reeves' version except the drum track. Hmm. He said it needed more bump and grind. 
So I guess he was feeling some R. Kelly in 64. I don't know. Uh, an idea hit him, and he excused himself, went to his car, and then Hunter came back into the, the studio holding a crowbar. And he sat on a concrete floor and said, roll tape. They went through the song one more time while Ivory Joe Hunter slammed the tire tool against the concrete floor on the downbeat to create what today still is one of the most defined and distinctive drum beats in rock and roll history. So there is the definitive version. Never, never play the version by Bowie and Jagger. Always please go for Motown, Martha Reeves, and the Vandellas dancing in the street. So you have Maxwell Silver Hammer, and then you have a crowbar on yeah. the cement. Yeah. You know, we could do a whole episode on songs that shout out cities in the United States. We really could. Like Heart of Rock and Roll. Oh, yeah. Uh, living in America. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many. Oh, there are so many. Yeah, it, it, it really would be. You know, it'd be an interesting mixtape when we were when we were through. I wonder what it would be, what that would sound like. It would be exhausting. Yeah, well, it would. Yeah, um, I, I don't know that I'd make it to side B. But, uh, this the song certainly exists, though. All right, sir. All right. Well, I am going to depart from my normal comfort zone of the late '60s to the um, early '90s. That's my that's okay. my comfort zone. I'm gonna I'm gonna crawl out of that. I'm gonna go ahead a little bit to 2008. Really? Believe it or not. Okay. What do you got? This is one of those artists that I absolutely loved, that people questioned me at the time. I was quite an apologist for her. In fact, I said that she was going to be an icon, a diva, um, uh, for know, many decades to come. I know where we're going. Yeah. And, and I was laughed out by many people, and I was indeed correct. And I'm talking, of course, about Lady Gaga. Yep. Just Dance. And Just Dance. Yep. And this is the the debut single for Lady Gaga. In fact, she was out. She, had, you know, she's a New Yorker, of course, but she moved out to L.A. in kind of a last ditch effort to, you know, collaborate with some some people and some producers and some musicians to come up with something. And she realized this is probably her last chance. And uh, with Akon and a few other uh, folks, she came up with this song, which uh, is one of the biggest selling singles of all time. Over 10 million copies sold. Um, and it's just a simple song about intoxication at a club.
she wrote in about 10 minutes. It came to her quickly, as some of the greatest songs do, right? It just kind of comes to you, the muse speaks, and she has this, well, quote, happy record. In fact, she said, the, they asked her why she thought it was such a hit. And she says, it speaks to the joy in our souls and in our hearts and having a good time. It feels really good, and it makes you feel good inside. It's as simple as that. So I was thinking, perhaps this explains why people dance. Like going back to our first, hmm. uh, our original discussion here. Um, nothing more complex than that. It just makes people feel good, right? Yeah. But yeah, this is uh, this is you know I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of next century pop per se. Uh, most of it I, I, I despise, frankly. But for whatever reason, I dug her from the beginning. Um, you know, you look through my CD collection, you're going to find you know some some Lady Gaga in there that might surprise you, but. Uh, uh, I knew she was here to stay, and I was right. No, I, you know, I, she really is. She, when she first started, um, you know, I dismissed her as largely just a, a Madonna, you know, ripoff, I guess, which is a little unfair. I mean, yeah, there's a lot in common there, but Lady Gaga really has, she's kind of grabbed the, the industry by the balls in some ways. I mean, she, there's a lot of, versatility in what she does and then and then her her performance in a star is born oh you know, yeah that yeah. was just in fact we're doing a duets uh episode later this summer i would not be surprised if she makes an appearance on that list for me um no it's a fantastic number i i did go forward in time on my list but only once one song and that's not the one i chose so very happy you did well, though. Er, some of her early singles don't showcase her vocal range. Right. And with auto-tuning, it's so easy to take somebody with average talent and make them sound amazing. And, and that's why I dismissed her so much is, you know, I've, I've seen this, done this, you know, that, right. that this, this is Madonna and she did so much better 20 years earlier. Um, but then, yeah, Lady Gaga just, she just continued to, to wow me as the, the years went on. She recorded, um, it, was a, it was a Thanksgiving special she recorded, and um, she did an acapella version of what song was, the one she wrote for her grandfather, The Name Escapes Me Now. Um, Born for Glory, I think is that the is that the oh yeah. or Made for Glory? Um, yeah, my my memory's awful. Um, Bound for Glory, is it? <laughs> it's one of those Ed- Edge of Glory. Edge of Glory. I'm <laughs> uh, right there. I was the edge of the yeah. answer. That's yeah. uh, that's the one that I will never forgive her for because I'm confident that because he he passed not too long after. I'm confident she did something to kill the big man, but nonetheless. Oh yes, because yeah. uh, yes, because he, Clarence he, Clemens yeah. plays on that. Because he performed with her, and then not long after that, that's yeah, true, broke that's my true. heart. But so, she yeah. did an acapella version of that, and that's, I'm sorry, no offense, Lady Gaga, I'm just just joking. <laughs> but I, for a while, though, I did joke that you killed. I thought you know, it was Clarence. so cool that they teamed up. It really was, you, you know? know. Yeah. But I, uh, my wife is very um, picky about vocals, and uh, you know she's quick to dismiss people that are just made to sound good because of technology. And I, I, she was not an early adopter, I don't think, of, of Lady Gaga. And then when she heard that track, she just instantly became a fan. You know, we're going to have to put that on the ultra. I don't know if I've ever heard the, the oh, strip. I, I have it, yeah. I, it should be on Spotify, but okay. I have it also in play. Yeah, I don't know if I've but, ever uh, it's, that. But it's just incredible. All right, yeah. Uh, can't say enough about Lady Gaga. Of course, she has become a diva and an icon and um, promoted so many worthwhile causes. Um, oh, yeah. Um, she's just um, been everything I hoped she would be. Yeah. She, she was... Uh, in part responsible for the, that big frontline workers uh, charity that happened last summer, right? Um, I believe she may it, have been involved. Yeah, I, I was thinking about some of the LGBT. Oh, oh yeah, that, um, that as well. Advocacy that she's also been yeah, included. that but. as well. But I think last year during the pandemic, you know, I remember it was global, and you know, artists 
just came out in droves and they, they did the virtual mm, okay. uh, performances yeah. and readings and you know speeches and I, I'm pretty sure she was the one behind that um, which I, I watched a lot of it virtually um, and yeah I'm pretty sure that was Lady Gaga's thing yeah. but you're right the LGBTQ uh, community especially I mean she, she has been very very helpful too um, and, and yeah she's just she's a philanthropist she's she's a She's a real class act. She, yep. really, she really is. Um, okay, so uh, I'm sorry. I think that's it. No, I'm no, good. I'm okay. good. Yeah. Well, you sir actually gave us a dance number. So yes, that, that, that is probably is the first. Dance yes, that is the first dance song on our list. I think pure, pure dance. Um, it takes me to my last for side A. This is going to be my number six, and it's my last venture into the 1960s. This one is by Sly and the Family Stone, and it is titled Dance to the Music. Hmm, yeah. So, um, Which was later included in Shrek, I believe. Was, yeah, I and think Billy Joel has a live version of that as well. Dance, and I think it's he? on the 2000 Millennial Dance to the Music, really? Tour. It, or either it's an actual song or it's uh, he kind of fills it in huh. uh, with one of the others. Okay. I, it wouldn't surprise me. I've, I've heard him do a number yeah. of you yeah. know, covers. But um, all right. Well, well, Dance to the Music, it was the band's first charting single uh, coming from their second album of the same name dance to the music uh the song has since been ranked number 223 on rolling stone's 500 greatest songs of all time and in spite of the success of this breakout hit none of the group members liked the song they all hated the song the band recorded it only to satisfy cbs executives desire for a hit Mm. which sounds familiar so we talked about that not too long ago with with the boss um, the song and album, though, did help to launch what was called the psychedelic soul sound of the early 70s. Uh, the Temptations, The Impressions, The Jackson 5, uh, The Undisputed Truth, all, all would later show tremendous influence from dance to the music. And in For the Record, uh, Sly and the Family Stones in oral history, Joel, uh, the author, Joel, Joel Selvin, um, said of the group, there are two kinds of black music. There's black music before Sly Stone, and there's black music after Sly Stone, um, to which he's, he brings up a relevant point. I mean, funk, uh, especially the psychedelic funk of, of the 70s, was in large part inspired not only by Sly and the Family Stone, but by this song. Uh, originally, Sly Stone wanted to go in a more psychedelic rock direction. CBS Records executive Clive Davis urged him to make his second album more pop-friendly. Um, Stone would waver between the two for many albums after, displaying skills of various styles and genres while keeping true to his message of peace, brotherly love, and racial harmony.
The band performed Dance to the Music in their set at Woodstock in 69, and they did not take the stage until 3.30 in the morning on day two, but they were worth staying up for, as their performance was hailed as one of the very best of the rock festival. Dance to the Music and two other songs from their set were in fact included on the official soundtrack, while many other more uh, prevalent and acts of the counterculture were not. Right. So, um, yeah, now that, that's my last venture to the 60s, so I'm really curious. Okay. Now I'm really curious about this yeah. partial. We, I don't well, you're th- not going to get the answer until part two. Okay, I don't think we have a partial match. I, I could All be right, wrong. Maybe good. we have a match. Very good. I don't know. It was a song. It was recorded. Well, the Beach Boys had a version of it. Okay. All right, anyway. Well, they, I can think of two songs by the Beach Boys that have dance in the title. I will remain in suspense until <laughs> next week. Okay. Now, I think this is my last one. It is your last one. All right, yeah. this is my last one. It's funny, we talked at the very beginning of the show about why people dance, and you mentioned pogo dancing. Uh-huh. And that kind of became a thing. Um, you know, obviously, disco was huge in the, the, the second half of the 70s going into the 80s. Absolutely. The artist says they would go to these discotheques and everybody would be playing disco. And in rebellion of disco, they would start just jumping up and down uh, uh, on their own. And it eventually became known as pogo dancing, um, which eventually led into slam dancing. Oh, yeah, right? yes, yeah. And the bouncers, of course, were trying to make it um, safe for the disco dancers and they didn't like these pogo dancers jumping around everybody knocking into people and so they they threw them out and, and of course they said well why are we being thrown out and they said well because it's not safe and thus came the song Safety Dance We can dance if we want to We can leave your friends behind Cause your friends don't dance and if they don't dance well they're no friends of mine Say we can go where we want to Place where they will never find and we can act like we come from out of this world Leave the real one far behind We can dance What We can go if we want to Night is young and so am I And we can dress real neat From our hearts to our feet And surprise them with a victory cry Say we can act if we want to If we don't, nobody will and you can act real rude and totally removed And I can act like an imbecile I say, we can dance, we can dance Everything's out of control We can dance, we can dance We're doing it from pole to pole We can dance, we can dance Everybody look at your hands We can dance, we can dance Everybody's taking the chance Safe to dance Oh, it's safe to dance Safety Dance from Men Without Hats in 1982. And um, yeah, it just, remember the video? um, The Renaissance Fair. It was like a Renaissance Fair with the Punch and Judy puppets. And, you know, that's just huge in the New Wave canon. And and, and this New Wave band really, I don't think, really did much else, at least not in the United States. No, um, they they are a one-hit wonder. Um, But at, at least here, I think... In Europe, they'd likely had far more success, but um, yeah, no, I, I don't know. They're remembered for the song, which I've I've always 
I think so many people get a laugh out of, right? right. Says that you can dance if you want to, says that he won't be your friend if you don't, right? So, But actually, that's that's kind of that, the key to the song. It is, yeah. Because it's, a lot of people thought it was about safe sex. A lot of, oh yeah. They or did. a nuclear holocaust. Yeah. But really, uh, it's about nonconformity and staking out on your own, even if, you were friends, even if your friends refuse to go along with you. Right. And so, again, the pogo dancing represents individuality. You don't need anyone to do the dance with you. Um, it's kind of improvisational, and you're doing your own thing. And you can imagine at the time, uh, and this was part of kind of the new wave alternative movement, the slam dance, that whole thing, uh, other people saying, why are you dancing like that? You look like an idiot. And um, some people saying, yeah, you're right, I shouldn't do that. Um, he's saying, no, no, keep dancing like that. Keep marking your own way. And if your friends don't come with you, then they're no friends of yours. Now, that free-spirited girl who does the and sing retort in the video, the video, was played by Louise Court, who would become editor-in-chief at Cosmopolitan. Yeah, and there was a big movement to try to track down who she was. For a yeah. long time, nobody yeah, could yeah. figure out who she, her true identity. Yeah, now on the song, though, it's Anne Dussault who, right. who sang that part, so. Right, but the video, yeah. They, but yeah, they, there were, there were I, I think it was, people were searching for her right. for years. Yeah. I, I remember, you know. If I remember correctly, she's just kind of wildly crazy crazily just yeah well she looked like a feral woman just <laughs> and she would just pop out of nowhere and say the line right. and she would disappear again yeah I, it, it really is one of my favorite earliest it's a lot videos. of fun. another example of without mtv without that video i'm sure it would never have been oh, a hit we, in the united yeah, states no we never would have heard them so yeah well that's those are my six and you have your six time to sequence so time to sequence and we will be right back after this all right and we are back we have our order for side a of dance yeah, I yeah, this one is we've we've had eclectic um eclectic mixtapes before. This one it's kind of all over the place and we're only halfway done. <laughs> so but I like it. I like it. it. It's a nice mix. Um it's not as clean sounding, segueing and transitioning from song to song, but um certainly I think it there's an aesthetic to it. I I don't know, I think we did pretty well. Um for side A, we are going to begin with Just Dance by Lady Gaga. And then that goes into I Want to Dance with Somebody Who Loves Me by Whitney Houston. That is followed by Let's Dance by David Bowie. And then The Safety Dance by Men Without Hats. Into Dance the Night Away by Van Halen. And Mary Jane's Last Dance by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Then Dancing in the Dark by Bruce Springsteen. And We Danced by The Hooters. Then we offer a palate cleanser, as Dave likes to say. This one is uh, a nice transition into a different sound. We go into Moondance by Van Morrison, followed by Dance to the Music by Sly and the Family Stone, Land of a Thousand Dances by Wilson Pickett, and we end side A with Dancing in the Street by Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Yeah, I like it because we start with, you know, the, the the most recent. That's a good way to kind of get that one there at the top. And then we go into kind of music. It would have inspired Lady Gaga, like right. the late 80s pop. When I'm looking at it, we we, we do. We, we just, we're, we're going in reverse. Yeah. I mean, really from start to finish. In the 80s and then the 70s. Now, now Tom Petty and Tom Petty is. But again, they're all around that same right. genre, yeah. Hooters and so forth. And then we kind of take a little dip and we have a little jazz interlude before we go into some cl- classic rock. Yeah. No, I, I like it. Yeah. I do. Um, you know, a lot of times I look at our side A and I think, well, this is a this is just a great playlist. Um, now, this is a great playlist, but this one feels incomplete to me. I'm looking at it just thinking side B is going to, you know, 
because it's set up to be a playlist, unfortunately. We can't share mixtapes with our audience. But looking at it, I'm just I'm thinking side B is going to complement this. In, in my mind. Well, and, and in my mind, anyway. It's going to complement it, and as a whole, from start to finish, I'm looking forward to what it's going to look like. Well, the and there's nothing to say because we make the own rules on our own podcast. True. That we can't kind of change up when we finish side B and redo side A and B based on the new choices that are offered to us. That's not, yeah, that's true. So right now this is our sequence, but it may change with new information. That's true. You think they'll forgive, you think our listeners will forgive us if we break our rules this one time maybe? Yeah, I think they'll forgive us. Okay. Yeah, because I'm just, I don't know. The only thing is we won't be able to release the playlist then until part two. Oh, that's true. Which I don't know if they'll mind. Well, then we can still release it and we'll just change it, I guess. Hmm. We can release side A and then change it up. The songs will all still be there. Well, yeah, that's true. We're not, they're not taking anything away. That's true. We're just changing the order up a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I, I just, because I don't know what you have, of mm-hmm. course, but I know what I have. Because that's the only thing I, I thought about this week was that we, we kind of, in this new format, which I like, by the way, but I think it, we, it's harder to make a good mix because we're really making two sides with less We music. are, yeah, yeah. Essentially, we're making two playlists right. every, right. for every episode. But or every, Let's just do that. We'll make, day. we can make like a, well, one of two things. We can either continue to make a uh, possible potential playlist on, on part one and then complete it and change it up on part two, or we can just avoid on part one altogether, just not have a sequencing moment, just go through our songs, and then part two, well, then we put them all in sequence. I don't know. You know, I would I would put this out there to, to our listeners as a poll, but I to me it's, I know we have people that listen to the episode and then listen to the playlist and I don't know that I would necessarily want to make them wait okay, an, an additional week um, yeah you know what you're right though because that is the art of make, making mixtapes I mean how many times did you start a mixtape and then find the song that you you would have preferred or a song right. that would have been better and you sure. had to go back and sometimes you had to start the whole process right. over again with, with song number one so I yeah, I like that. I, I, maybe we shouldn't limit ourselves necessarily, you know, to have a side A playlist and, you know, just be one and done. One of these days we'll figure out a format that we, works. Well, no, I like this <laughs> format. I do. I think it's much more self-contained. I think that you know, it's just a tighter show this way um, because we, we were very good at rambling for three, three and a half, sometimes oh almost gosh, four right? hours <laughs> in our first season. I, I like how we're doing it now. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, we'll, we'll receive feedback from our, our listeners saying the same. Like all good shows, it takes a while to get the, I mean, just look at early episodes of Seinfeld and you realize it oh, yeah. takes a season or two to get your legs. Yeah, very true. Okay, well, that does conclude side A, though, of dance. We need to title this. Um, or do you want to wait and see let's what wait. songs we yeah. have for? Yeah, let's wait. Okay. Now, is that going to be a permanent thing or is that a this show, this episode podcast only I, I'm uh, fine with wait with doing a preliminary and then changing it up if, if we find a better because it would be a shame to find our choices next week and realize oh my gosh this song would have really fit well with this other song but it's too late okay. now because we already made our choices and we are in agreement I like that all right okay all right well we are going to go ahead and call it a week folks uh, want to thank uh, our our sponsors, we do have Jay Callahan Painting out of Cleveland. You can find her on Facebook for all of your painting needs. And you do still have uh, Affordable Entertainment, home of Affordable DJ and Northeast Ohio Photo Booth. Please, you can find both of them on, on, on Facebook. Affordable Entertainment, you can find 
online. Just look up affordabledjohio.com. Um, but that's all I got to say right now. So, all right. Well, hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. And we will see you on the flip side. <laughs>